0: Welcome back to the Wrong Advice Podcast. I'm your host, John Picciuto, and I'm very excited to have Chaz Gold on with us today. Chaz, how are you doing, my friend?
1: I'm very well.
0: Can you give the listeners a quick introduction to who you are?
1: Uh, My name is Chaz Gold. I am a photographer slash artist, I guess, like, crypto enthusiast that I'm trying to learn a bit more about. Um, I also do addiction counseling for a living. I've uh, been clean and sober for seven years.
0: Oh, congrats. That's yeah. amazing.
1: Thanks. And uh, yeah, at the moment, I'm doing art, but I'm also doing full-time uh, addiction counseling in a methadone clinic in Portland, Oregon. So.
0: Wow. That's that's awesome. Um, give me uh, some insights. So you're a photographer, you're an artist. When did uh, those interests and hobbies and careers sort of start for you?
1: Um, when I was 14, my grandpa gave me my first camera and taught me how to do all kinds of crazy stuff with light. You know, he, um, remember my earliest in memory of him was taking me outside. And when like, on like, my 14th birthday, he brought me a Nikon M5, F5, F5, old film camera, these big, bulky, square metal <laughs> things. And, um, <clears throat> taught me how to load the film into it. And before this I had like a 110 camera with like a little flash things, little square things. Mm-hmm. Little things yeah. So, and he took me out, like we used to, he used, used to collect scrap metal for a living. So he would always take come pick me up early in the morning in the summers, you know, in mm-hmm. spring and, um, and take me with them to work. And I would always sleep in the cab of the truck and wake up later. But this time he was like, come on, I want to show you something. And he shows you this camera, teaches me the real, real film, takes me out to what we used to call the back 40 of our, the farm that I grew up on. And he shows me how that like, he's like, there's this, ha- there's this house on the back of the field and like past our fence, our, our neighbor's place. And you can know, see how the sun's rising above the house. The guy in the house and I was like, yeah, hey, he's like, see how there's all kinds of dew and stuff everywhere? And like there's like the dirt falling off the off the off the leaves. I was like, hey, he's like, I want you to try to capture the prism through one of the dew drops as the sun raises, comes up right over the red the crest of the, the edge of the of that, that house that's rising again And I want to capture I want you to capture that rainbow that's going to come through those dewdrops.
0: Very yeah, easy ask helped. for a person who's <laughs> never taken a picture before.
1: <laughs> yeah, right? I'm like, and I did it. I actually had like a 36 by 24 print of that on my wall until I was like 26, 27.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
1: So, yeah, but <laughs> that, was, that was my first. And then he just like, we used, used to run around all town and, and like take photos and like he taught me all kinds of stuff on how to do like, um like how to shoot photos like after it rain with like with like puddles like you shoot laid on the in the ground and like get wet and like shoot into the puddle and like catch the buildings the reflections in the in the, in the with a the widening lens and like she so catch the street and the building but he would catch like that reflection that double reflection of the buildings through the puddles and stuff And those, those stuff like and it's like artsy really artsy really cool shit
0: that's awesome yeah. so you yeah. you started at a young age and yeah. did it stick yeah. with you from like 14 and on
1: yeah yeah i dropped it for a little while i got into some trouble when i was a kid and went to juvenile and shit and you know um yeah end up back in, when i was 17 i ended up in san francisco and um and uh was a little street urchin little kid down there and this guy came down from the sacramento Bee in 1988 and um did a story on street kids in in san francisco and when i was when i was like 21 i was up here in portland during the riding king riots and this guy, who was a photographer at PSU, um, came down and did a bunch of portrait pictures of me and my punk rock friends at Pioneer Square. And um, <laughs> two days later, he shows up with a bunch of prints to give us like gifts. Let's let him take our pictures and stuff. And he pulls me aside and he goes, is this you? And he shows you this book. And apparently the ar- article in 1988 won the Photo Journalism Award of the Year International. Holy shit. Yeah. And it was an article about me my one of one other the person about street kids in san francisco
0: wow and
1: i looked at this kid and i was like i know what i want to do now and he's like what's that i'm like i want to do photojournalism and he was like well if you're serious he's like i got a bunch of extra cameras and stuff my dad's like this famous photographer in portland like international guy and like he's like i got an extra pentax k 1000 i can just give you and i ended up sort of pounding out this kid and i actually went to um Portland State University, where he was taking classes right at the start of the term, and I started taking classes without being registered,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I got away with it for about about five months till like towards the end of the term, and then they were like, "You don't really go here."
0: <laughs> You're like, "No, I don't."
1: <laughs> I was like, "I was just sitting in on classes. I thought it was cool." <laughs> My friend, they were like, "Oh boy!" <laughs> and like, and the teacher was like, "You got a lot of promises." A photographer did. Keep it up whatever you do, but you can't keep coming back to class here unless you register. Just you get registered. I was like, ah, whatever. I was like a little, like, you know, little, little asshole back then. I was like 20, 21, you know? Uh-huh. So, but I kept that pen, going down I went back down to San Francisco about six months later after that and started doing nightclub photography with that camera. And from that point on, I was doing nightclub photography for and street photography for years in San Francisco. Did a couple of gallery shows down there. Did one called, um, the first gallery show I ever did was called the Ram goddess. And it was, um, it was all black and white 4x film, 44, 400X film that 44 40x film that i took of like just random beautiful or maybe not so beautiful or just random women around san francisco and just took creatures of them and like end up doing this whole gallery show at this place called 111 minute minute gallery there was also a nightclub and we did it as a breast cancer awareness fundraiser and then we um we had like random you had to go through the gallery to get to the game floor. And we had all-girl DJs, this, this uh, crew called the Sister SF back then. And it was all house music and, like, drone bass and, and techno and shit like that. And we had random ran, ran, ran lengths and heights throughout the throughout the whole gallery. We had these black-and-white photos and mats. And you had to walk through this maze of, like, black-and-white photography to get to the dance floor, to get to the music. And, like, she was the random goddess. Everything was, like, hung at, like, random lengths and heights from, mm-hmm. like, wires in the ceiling. So that was the first big show that every day I was like 22 years old back then it's like
0: 1992.
1: that's awesome so yeah I also toured with Lollapalooza in 91. I was on I was a roadie for um for uh for a Jane's addiction for a Perry Pharrell and wow. ended up all around with this guy named Bob that turns out he's like this famous photographer that works for like um for like, like Rolling Stone and shit. he was teaching me how to do like film like band photography with my little that i brought like a whole case of film with me to go <laughs> <laughs> like when i wasn't loading in and out for the bands for for james i was running around on those different stages because i had to fall like fast and i did take advantage of it and just started doing and that's how i learned i do like concert photography too
0: that's awesome so, so your yeah. your photography is hit in a bunch of different genres do you yeah, have yeah. do you have a, like a preference do you have like a, a main true love like street photography or portraiture
1: People. I mean, my latest project, the Shapes of Divine one, is just like there's I have two projects right now as NFTs, and they've always been projects well before they were they were, one the portrait one that I have is um it's a lot of like I like doing portrait photography that has kind of a theme to it or like it's just really gritty and real. You know what I mean? I don't like I don't like having to Photoshop portrait photography. I like doing my own lighting, yeah, my own settings, my own like Wherever I'm at, like setting things up the way I want it to be set up, and like, and it's so like I created. I actually did a gallery show at um up here in Portland with all my photography from when I was. That's how I was down down in Los Angeles. I lived in LA this last time from 2011 to 2015, and I lived at this really crazy warehouse called Space 748. Man, it was so cool, dude! It was like this. We had a we had a 12,000 square foot like room that was 40 foot ceilings it was just like this empty room and like we used to have djs and after hours in there but during the day we had a we had like three different lighting systems a bunch of old like old lighting and a bunch of new lighting like and um and there was this other photographer named barry that lived there and he used to create he used to like create this create these crazy backgrounds you know and, like different sets and stuff and he was friends with this guy that owned a, um uh a uh fabric company over in, in, the, in the over in uh uh Carpent over district. in the, the fashion district yeah and the, the fabric district name we used to like we used to like trim drugs and shit to like go bring us big huge bolts of fabric so we had this like this seven seven hundred foot square wall the long wall 40 feet tall with like a rope that ran across the top of it and like 60 different kinds of fabrics that we just string across the room and use it as different backgrounds
0: that's sick
1: <laughs> yeah we had an old like old like uh, uh sit down big like um like a baby grand piano in there we used to like roll around to different parts of the warehouse and like just like Pose people on it and do all kinds of crazy shit with it, and like we had a whole we had um, a whole collection of black and, and black mannequins in there, so that made for like very interesting photography sometimes. I <laughs> mean, like we pose people in between the mannequins or like pose them like naked around them and like you know or put them in weird clothes or situations and do weird lighting with it and show all kinds of filters and like different like colors and gels and stuff. And It was just cool. It was like the year that I lived there, I think probably did the most amazing like artsy photography portrait wise. That I ever did in my entire life, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um,
0: and a, and there's some
1: somebody... a little other little, little thing is um. So in, when I lived in San Francisco in 2009, I had brain surgery and I got hurt in a home invasion, cracking the head with a hammer on the left hand side. So I've used I have to I have to learn how to shoot left handed. So I actually use a Sony because I can use the back then it was like the middle of the grip had the vertical release in it, and I can shoot left handed with it. And with the new ones, I can shoot left handed it's so small. So, yeah, so I actually shoot, I'm actually a left-handed photographer.
0: Yeah, which is <clears throat> few and far between for sure. Um, I'm yeah. glad you brought that up because we talked about, um, you know, the, the accident or assault, whatever you want to call it, uh, a, on a Twitter space, you know, a few months back. Um, so you're kind of like going through life. You're like working, creating art, making amazing f- photographs. And then like something like this level of catastrophic hits you personally. <laughs> Um, talk to me about like that experience, what that was like, like, you know, having to learn and function as a human being again, with new limitations that you hadn't experienced before in your life.
1: It was interesting. Cause like, you know, right before that happened, I was living in this house and Upper in Lower H street and that's where it happened at. And like, I found myself doing weird things with my left hand. Like I was trying to, I was trying to, it was like, I was trying to teach myself for no reason at all to become ambidextrous. It was almost like the universe was like like something inside of me knew this was going to happen. Wow. And I remember I remember that happening. I was like and then then it happened and you know i was in a hospital for like 4 months. I was I was in a coma for 12 days. I was in a rehabilitation hospital for 4 months.
0: Wow.
1: And it was just kind of like lost. I didn't know really where to go, who to go to, where to go. Ended up like kind of bouncing around with friends for a couple of weeks in California up in like vacaville and like up in emory uh in uh uh and Fairfield, and stuff friends at the houses out there that were trying to take care of me and i was just out of my mind i like i didn't know i knowing now knowing when i went now, and knowing when i was then like in hindsight like i thought that i was fine i was just I was running around like driving a car and everything Shouldn't I the, yeah, yeah right. i should be doing that you know what i mean like um but like when i, I got out to oregon i came we stay with my sister up here and she actually pretty much rescued me, like brought me in, into her house and like gave me her whole basement to like, just fix up and, and hang out in for like a whole year, helped me get on disability, you know? And it took that whole year to just kind of like take a, take a rest from life, just like, just let her take care of me, let family just take care of me. And then I got my, um, I got, I finally got disability after 10 months after I applied for it. And that's what it takes a while to get it, you know? Um, and uh they gave me a back shape a back, chape, a back check <laughs> so they gave me like i think it was 10 grand or something like that and the first thing i did was i ran down to camera world it's not even there anymore in downtown portland And i bought an a700 with the vertical grip and three lenses and a flash and all the gear in the in the bag and all the gear that i needed to start shooting and it just went crazy i just started like every day i was like i was walking around taking photos of everything and everyone that i could possibly like put my camera at you know mm-hmm. and um and I just I started I got back into nightclub photography in Portland, then and like did a lot of like, a lot of the underground rave type stuff and warehouse stuff and the house music stuff. But it was it was definitely different. It was like having to learn left handed and having to learn how to like live without that right hand. It's it's like it's like living with having one hand tied behind your fucking back.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know what I mean? I literally like building it's like that's all I get. It's like a little bit of a grip on the right hand side. Like most of the time the one spaces on on clubhouse or, or uh, twitter spaces this is what i'm doing i'm holding my phone my phone in my right hand because it has enough grip to hold that that's the only thing i can really do with my right hand mm-hmm. is hold my phone up to talk into it when i'm on twitter spaces or clubhouse or when i'm on the phone call yeah you know what i mean so like it's definitely been like a journey you know like going back to school was challenging um you know because I, I have dyslexia with numbers and symbols now
0: from the Just, accident
1: yeah yeah, but I mean, I graduated 3.87 GPA and like president's list, so
0: it's pretty good. Ooh, not
1: bad, not bad. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> like, it took me four and a half years to graduate, but like, but I um while I was when I first started school, I, I um I took a photography class also, and I don't need to, you know. And that was that's where that's where the real things really started kicking in,
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know, with the with with um with what I'm doing now, so.
0: I mean, that's, that's a pretty incredible journey. I don't think there are a lot of people who would go through something that traumatic and then be able to still incorporate... Uh, you know, in art in their life, right? Like, I feel like anytime someone would experience that level of a limiting event in their life that prevents them of doing something that they had done for so long with such ease, that they would tend to shun that thing, right? Like, okay, my right hand doesn't fully function anymore. I'm probably not going to try to take pictures anymore. And and I think They don't it's, make
1: a left-handed camera. Yeah. They, they don't exist. There's one in existence in all of time. Yeah, it's crazy. Nikon made one for um, a war photographer back in the seventies in Vietnam, who lost his arm in the war. That's the only left-handed camera that's ever existed in the entire world.
0: I mean, that's just an in, in, it's just an insane thing to think about, right? In a world where pretty much everything is geared towards people with either dominance, like a you know, it's it's a monetary thing. I would imagine they're not going to sell a lot of them, and the cost to produce is going to be exorbitant for them. And why would they're like fuck it? Who cares?
1: Did you know that the people in the in the fifties and sixties they used to force kids that were left handed to be right handed?
0: I did know they that. Thought,
1: yeah, that was a religious thing. They actually thought that people that were southpaws were were of the devil. Yeah. They had to them.
0: Well, and there was just like th- there were limitations to it because at the end of the day they. Because it's like what I think ninety five percent of human beings are right handed or right hand dominant. It might it's like eight percent. I think I might have made that up. Statistics are, are fake oh, anyway. Right. Well, so, the
1: thing the way I look at it is like this. I got struck in the left hand side of my head. That's where all the numbers, the logic, all the math, all those the languages, all that stuff lies. Now I used to speak like fluent Hebrew, Yiddish, a little bit of Mandarin, Mandarin Cantonese, a little bit of uh uh and and fluent in spanish and i wrote like seven different ca- ca- different languages of, of computer code i used to do like i used to just like fuck around with linux just because it was fun mm-hmm. you know and just I used to break into systems and shit just because like it was just the thing to do you know like like i used to love like my favorite build for linux was kali linux i just, I just break into people's computers just to see what's in there i never stole anything i never fucking did me any, <laughs> anything any harm but i was just like i was like Curious. oh look I can get this back door and like i I saw that movie Hackers back in the 90s, and I was like,
0: "Great movie!" Can you
1: really change TV shows on a cal- on the on a TV station late at night at PBS? I'm like, "Oh, we can't. You can't." <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> you no. Know? And then after the accident, you lost all that.
1: Gone, gone. Like I can barely, I can, I can remember a few words of of, of Hebrew and the Yiddish and, and Cantonese, but and and Spanish. And I can kind of hear it, understand a little bit of it when I see it, hear it on TV or like when people speak it around me. But and like every time I try to sit down and look at code on the computer, I'm like it's like it's like a faint echo in the back of my brain. I just get fucking frustrated, I'm like, ah oh, fuck this. Never mind.
0: Can okay. you can you talk to me about so like obviously there was a incredible physical trauma that transpired, but can you talk to me about like the emotional damage that was tied to that? Like What was that process like? Because obviously you've got the physical hurdles that you need to overcome, but what about like healing from like an emotional perspective and like you lost a lot, right? Like the the, the inability to, you know, read and write in six different languages that you used to know, et cetera. Like, can you talk to me what that process was like?
1: Um was like relearning languages and stuff?
0: No, no, just like what was it like emotionally to kind of like go come through that process, right? Like you had, uh, you know, a year of your life sort of taken from you where you had to learn to like retaught, you learn know, learn
1: to walk, talk, speak, all that kind of exactly. shit Exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. Talk, to, like, talk to me about what that process was like mentally to deal with.
1: I remember like being, because I used to be, I used to be really into like the whole house music, techno, like rave scene. That's like music's always been like a massive part of my life. I've been a like, DJ up and on all my life, but it never really like, played out a lot, but I but I do it a lot at home, and, and I feel like music has a healing factor to it that far that none can help you heal, and I remember being in the re- re- the rehabilitation hospital at Laguna Honda Hospital in San Francisco, and I was still in a wheelchair, and I went to my doctor, and I was like, so listen, man, in 16 days, they're having the 35th anniversary at the end of, and I need to be there because I've never missed an anniversary since like the 20th one. I've been going there for 16 years, dude. And that's like my that's my bar you know what i mean that's my place like even if i like was 86 and kicked out from doing some stupid shit that i'd go hang out at front and like check ids and like hang out with all the security and like just to be there for the anniversary you know what i mean like because i used to get all kind of trouble at that bar and um and my doctor was like you're out of your fucking mind. Dude. there's no way in 16 days you're going to be able to go you're still in a wheelchair i'm like tell you what I, I should tell you what if i can get up out of this wheelchair and i go to my pt classes every day and like and i get on a cane Give me a weekend pass, and he was like, Okay, all right, whatever, cool. And I was like, And like, I what was it, 14 days later, I walked in with on a cane, and he was like, oh, All right, dude, there you go. And my friend Twitch, this guy that I know, we just call him Twitch, um, I know him from Burning Man, so he's a paraplegic, he actually broke his neck in a, in a, in a pool accident, like, jumping oh, wow. in a pool not have enough water in it. Like he was all drunk like years ago and he still goes out to pretty man. still goes dancing all that stuff. He's usually in a power chair, but he has like the, the crutches so he can get up and like kind of dance, like groove. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, and like he was always in the hospital to visit me when this happened. Cause he understood what I was going through.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, he's a really good friend. And, um, and he picked me up from the hospital that weekend and we went to the end of, and I danced for like eight hours and I came back the next day with a cane around my neck and the sling that my arm was in like threw it in the, threw it in the garbage I didn't need it anymore because the, the the weight of my right arm, because the nerve damage was so heavy. I had to keep my arm in a sling mm-hmm. and I didn't need it anymore. When I came back and I could, my, my speech cleared up over that weekend. Like I could walk better that we that weekend. You know what I mean? And I, and I walked in with a cane around my neck and the doctor was just like, explain to me. <laughs> and I was like, here's the deal. You put me or someone like me in a situation like mine in a pretty thick crowd of people, on a dance floor with 120 to 125 BPM music that simulates this the this, this sensation of the womb. Wow. It like, that's the same BPM that you hear in the, as a heartbeat in the womb and you get in a dance where you're crushed in with all those people and you're dancing, you're moving your body, your body and your mind and your nerves are going to react to that same feeling of having that, that feeling of, of healing. It's like being inside your mama.
0: Wow. You know what I mean, That's wild.
1: Yeah, and the doctor was like, I need to think I need to write a paper on this. <laughs> yeah.
0: So do you, you know think I mean? I've
1: actually written a paper on, on people with traumatic brain injuries and, and uh uh and stroke stroke victims and the healing elements of of electronic music or or music with one hundred and twenty hundred and twenty five beats as as a heartbeat sound And he's done a whole like I've been in touch with him off and on through the years and like he wrote a whole like medical paper on this shit.
0: I mean, that's incredible. I didn't, I did not know that at all. That's, that's incredible. So you actually help,
1: it helps people, with the techno, like techno music can help people, like, heal, basically. (laughs) That's crazy.
0: That is crazy. So you think, like, (laughs) between the experiences of that event and, like, I guess maybe getting out of the hospital was like an emotional healing for you, like a a mental.
1: That was, that was when the healing started. And, like, and then coming up here to Oregon, it's just like, it's, I, I, I mean, I did my best, like, to get out of the house as much as I could. Like, my, my sister lived, like, way out of the edge of town, and, like, I and I want, I want, just wanted to be downtown all the time, and she was all the way. It's called Gladstone, and I was like, You're, I gotta get out of here. So, like, a lot of that first year was, like, a lot of, like, getting on the bus and the trains and walking and, like, physically moving around and, like, just talking to people and reading a lot of books and, like, you know, and, and just, just, you know, trying to, trying to heal myself. My dumb ass was still, like, drinking, though, and, like, doing dumb <laughs> shit, like,
0: well, you were I went young, back, right?
1: back again like four years later after I got hurt like used again for three years and you know did stupid shit like things I shouldn't have been doing that while my brain was supposed to kind of heal mm-hmm. you know that's okay because here I am now you know what I mean
0: yeah I was I was curious so you know you, you mentioned you were sober for seven years mm-hmm. and I'm kind of curious like how the physical and mental recovery from that accident sort of lended itself to I guess wanting to eventually get sober what was that?
1: a lot of it a lot of it did like i mean i think i just i part of me just got tired of getting high you know what i mean like it just didn't work anymore mm-hmm. it turns out that i had that I actually have sleep apnea really bad and like basically i was like doing a bunch of like drugs to like Go make to my brain like be normal and like so i could talk and like act normal because like i when i wasn't high, like i would my words would just slurred you did not understand what the fuck i said you know when so, you weren't high college, yeah
0: that's when crazy. I first got to the call,
1: I sounded like a minion. Oh wow! Like, because all my language shit was all
0: discombobulated.
1: And, like it's all scrambled inside my brain. Like I had seven different languages running around in there, <laughs> like trying to. And I'm trying. I thought that I was talking to my friends with English, and they were like, "What the fuck are you trying to say?" They brought me a Scrabble board. Wow! And that's when I realized I couldn't even spell.
0: Holy! Oh wow! That's crazy.
1: I was like, "Fuck." Yeah. And like I didn't like, like what I thought I was saying when I was in the hospital after I got hurt, was not English. I thought it was, but it wasn't English. Like <laughs> it literally sounded like a fucking minion, which is funny because my friend Boy Scout Brian from Burning Man works for Pixar, and he worked on that movie. And <laughs> every time I see him, I'm like. How much do my did my speech <laughs> inflections at that time have effect on the minions' voices in that fucking movie, dude? And where the fuck are my fucking royalties?
0: I was just say, "Where's your, your you. post credit <laughs>
1: scene?" <laughs> so, like, "You're a dick, bro." He's like, and every time I see him, like, I say something. He's like, he's uh, uh, laughed at, me, walks away, like shaking his head. I'm like, fuck, it's "Such a dick, bro." Like,
0: <laughs> I mean, that's pretty funny. I mean, it's, I guess it's, you know. Little funny. It's
1: kind of cool though, in a way. Like I'm like, wow. That means that my tragedy probably like brought how many smiles to millions and billions of people. For sure, that seen that movie. Did I'm, that happen? to it.
0: I'm an unabashed Pixar fan, and Despicable Me is probably one of my favorites, for sure. Me too. But uh, Me too. what was it like getting sober and clean? So like, you were getting tired of getting high, and you just yeah, sort so of decided like, you one know, day. Yeah, I left, San Francisco. I
1: left Portland back in, I got hurt, I came back here, I got hurt on January 31st, 2009, came up here until about 2000, middle, uh, until November, to, of November of 2010, so I was up here about a year and a half, or so, like a little bit less than two years, and I moved out on my own, and got my own place in Portland, out of my sister's place, like six months before, and... um and i moved back down to los angeles in 2011 november of it and then and then found myself by like new years of that year i was back in my addiction again
0: mm-hmm.
1: i was at it after i was partying somebody was smoking some shit and like i was like hey it's like it's new i could party one time yeah that never that, you know that never works so
0: down the rabbit up, hole
1: like, down there, yeah until 2015 and like part of me like was already like i was kind of over it in the first place like after a while i was just like it this sucks it's this not happening anymore like i like i'm tired of struggling with this drug and like and like all my friends around here just are twacked out of their minds and they're all like doing shady shit it's gonna get them thrown in prison or dead you know and i was like i just wanted to get out and like on my birthday of 2015 i had a friend of mine come into town with his shaman from peru and they had some ayahuasca and they were like, you, you want to go up to this little campsite? We're going to, we're going to camp up by the Hollywood Hills and by the Hollywood sign, like right in the view of the Hollywood sign, Find a little spot we can actually sit down and like camp at for a couple of days and like not get bugged. And like, we're going to do ayahuasca. And I was like, okay, all right, I'll try that. You know what I mean? Cause I'd heard a lot about it. I'd already done DMT a bunch of times. Like, so I was like, Hmm, what this is going to be like. And I went and did it and spent like two days in camped out in these hills and like came back and I was like two days later I, on May 2nd I just stood up and I was like who wants to drive me to over living oh wow like I had I had no desire left I tried to get high one time between then down between then and then and like it just like it made me physically sick and it's like and then like mentally it just emotionally it just hurt me it just like it was just like this like literally like a physical emotional pain like it's like a nightmare like stabbing through my nerves of like of my emotions wow and it's like all the, there was like all the craving all the all the all the, the 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 wanting all that shit for the any of the drugs was just gone
0: i mean that's you know? incredible
1: it was just like it, it was like ego death you know? i saw like I, I learned about like how to treat how to how to like like commune with nature how to talk to the fucking plants like i was like literally like everything around me was breathing and moving and like alive and like and I, I saw so much when I was on that trip. I saw like I literally saw like like the inside of me like wither die, go into the ground and be eaten by worms. Like I saw my own death and shit. But at the same time, it wasn't like where or how I'm gonna die. But it was like this part of me was just like literally like eaten by by the by the earth, and I became dust. Oh. That was like the end of the ayahuasca trip, and I was like, and then and then yeah, and from that point on, I just, I went to sober Living, and I just that was seven years ago seven and a half years ago now
0: I mean that's incredible yeah um yeah. what was it so like how far into your sobriety did you decide to start getting into counseling and trying to help others
1: i moved back up here from from la right after that i went to i went down i went to several living over by um in a in the valley for like for, from like from like may 2nd till right before july 1st my 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 dad and i which we never really we we got along but like we didn't we didn't see eye to eye most of my life you know i mean Mm -hmm. and um on the 28th of june i called them and he was like come home and it was my mom's birthday on july 1st so i moved a bunch of shit around like like bought a bunch of um uh 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 gift cards from three different credit cards that had a little bit of money on each credit card and like bought enough gift cards from Southwest Airlines to buy one ticket one way to get up to up to Portland and um and got home on on July 1st of that year of 2015 for my mom's birthday and it was it was like from that point on it was like me the like it took me about like about a year after that a year and a half after that probably to to start getting in in, like I started volunteering with like outside in and new avenues of youth and these companies up in here in Oregon that work with like that risk youth. And I realized like, if I'm going to do this, I should be learning how to like do this professionally. Yeah. You know? And like, so I, so I enrolled at PCC, which is the community college. It's the only place that had it up here for those classes. And it's supposed to be a two year term, but because of where I live in my, in subsidized housing. So I'd have really cheap rent, in a really nice part of town. And, um, uh, so I couldn't take full time classes, and like with the way with, with my brain worked, I didn't. I was scared to go to school anyway, You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I enrolled part time and did two terms and towards towards the degree, towards the certification, and then was like, dude, this is really emotionally heavy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what I mean? so I decided to take those classes the next term to enroll for that, and I enrolled for digital photography one, and this teacher Kelly. Uh, her name is kelly pennington i kind of became the she was like why are you taking this class you could be fucking teaching this class what's wrong with you you know what i mean she's like you know more about me about more more than i do about photography probably you yeah. have much more experience <laughs> and i was like i told her why and she was like all right cool so i became kind of the unofficial ta for the class you know what i mean
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um and that was a good balance of having that photography and that's when i came with the idea of like what if i wanted to start my own nonprofit for at-risk kids to teach them how to do photography videography digital art, things like that, and, you know what I mean? And like, and, and get my certification, get my get my degree, you know what I mean? Instead of getting my certification, get my degree in, in addiction studies, get my certification as a recovery mentor and as a CDAC and CAC2 while I'm here, get all that education out of the way. And I took a bunch of classes um, in like photography while I did that and a bunch of graphic design classes on, on the side so I could get the basic knowledge that I would need to really teach these things to at least keep up people to get them started with things mm-hmm. in, a, in a situation like that. And, um, and, uh, and out of that whole class was we had to do a creative lighting class project and Kelly used to stand in front of the, the projector all the time from the class. And I would see her like two throw art up and photographer from the, from the, up on the board with the, photographer, with the, with the projector. So she's always had these images projected on her. And I was like, well, what would happen if I like took some graphs, some like fractals or like, Sacred geometry, so I was totally obsessed with at the time, and like project onto somebody's body, and make that my lighting class project. So I ran, I ran a little tiny beaky photogra- uh, uh, projector from from the library and brought it home with me for like a week. And had one of my best friends come over who who shot photos of me before for this class for um for a, for a, um for a other black and white photography class uh, assignment, and and there was a it was a nude shoot, so like I knew that she'd be down to like do this with the And we actually used the uh, the the iTunes visualizer the first shoot that we ever did for this project.
0: (laughs) Wow, throwback!
1: Yeah, and like and a bunch of like free wallpaper downloads. You know what I mean? Like a bunch of stuff that I just found online. It's before I even knew what the term visionary art was or psychedelic visionary art. I had no idea what that kind of art was. I knew that I liked it, but I didn't know who the artists were. Didn't know what that what that was. Like that there was a whole culture and a whole like like a whole thing behind it. Like. Even though I've been going to festivals for years, I didn't I didn't it didn't ever dawn on me that like, oh that's visionary art, that's Alex Gray and Cameron Gray and you know what I mean, those guys and like that whole that, that whole image that, that that whole like like community of people. So, so yeah, and then once that started picking up with the with the uh, I started downloading I started finding visionary art and then I discovered what that was and I started downloading all the free wallpapers I could get by artists, by like that. Like so and then one day I was like, I before in, in LA back in 2011, I was trying to do this whole photography thing where I was doing, trying to do a, it was called the tattooed goddess where I would do heavily tattooed women photographs of them and then I would make their their skin black and white but keep the colors the, the, the colors of the, the tattoos in. Oh, that's cool. And I was going to do a whole copy table with that and I was going to do like a, like a Kickstarter page and like a crowdfunding. crowdfunding actually got featured at the raw artists in in los angeles in like 2012 i think it was there's there, i'm on, it's on youtube you like look up like Chaz golden raw artists from like from like 2011 or 12 something like that like from that's the of awesome. uh, palladium yeah <laughs> there's a whole interview with me on there that's sick so yeah it's, that was back when my teeth were all fucked up like this this just like it was all bad dude like you know what i mean <laughs> so you've been through some yeah. shit
0: Chaz. um yeah. what is it about the stuff that you've been through that makes you want to help other people
1: cuz i never really had anybody truly help me the whole time. Like, i never found anybody that ever went through the things that i went through or understood where i was going from. You know what i mean? I mean that, there's people that, that could relate to it, there're people that understood it, there're people that were empathetic to it. There are people that were like understanding and like like and overly compassionate and like you know, but there was nobody that I met really who had been, who would gotten sober and gone through the shit that I've been through mm-hmm. and made it out alive. You know what I mean? Like it's. I remember. I remember reading like the the doors, the doors, the the biography of Jim Morrison. You know, like no one gets out of here alive. Yeah, and that's how I felt the whole time I was on doing drugs. I was like, no, no, none of us are gonna get out of this shit alive, dude. We're all gonna fucking die in the fucking mix, dude. Like,
0: yeah, this. Stuck. The statistics, you know? the probability of becoming a fully fledgling, functioning human being after, you know, suffering with addiction for that many years is low.
1: Very low. And I know that, you know, and I'm really proud of myself. It's, it's something that's one of my biggest, I'm pretty humble about it. I try not to talk about it too much, but there's a big point of pride in me that like, that's what keeps me going on bad days.
0: I mean, you I, know? I, I think that's more than okay. I think you should be, I mean, for real, I mean, just, you know, I've got people in my life who have come and gone with the addiction and those who continue to fight it and those who have overcome it. Um, Sobriety is a very, very difficult path for anyone, um, especially ones who have experienced significant trauma in their life. So, for someone like you who's went through a like catastrophic event in their life, which changed everything about the path of their life, to then get sober, want to help other people, still create art, still be a photographer, still be an artist, I mean, that's fucking inspiring. That's incredible. There's not many people who would take like shit sandwich after shit sandwich and be like, yeah, I still want to help other people. They'd be like, fuck it, I'm going to do drugs till I die. I
1: mean, I, I still see those people every single day that are that, that coming to, come to my clinic you know i have a caseload of 66 people at, at a methadone clinic and you can't believe you wouldn't believe how many of those people are actually artists yeah and well, and, and it's funny like because like because like when i'm like i'm like close the door let's talk about art you know what i mean Fuck a fucking session about like about like drugs. what you went through like how much fucking dope you did last week or why you can't smoke dude, smoke smoking blues or whatever, or, like, their methadone's not fucking working or whatever. Let's talk about, like, what, what drives you? Why are you still doing art? What drives you to do that art? And how can I help you propagate that to, like, to help that with your sobriety? And yeah. I come up like that. You know what I mean? And, like, that's – because that's what helped me get through it. And people actually listen to me.
0: Well, I mean, you know? you, you've been doing it long enough they should, right? I mean, you've, you've yeah. gone through the battles yourself, right? So, you know, it's like one of those things, like, do you want to go to war with a person who's never – Experienced battle before do you want to go with with a general who's been there done that fought in the front lines
1: yeah Yeah, exactly yeah when you
0: when you go through your daily life and you're helping people how does that emotional toll like affect you and then what do you do with like those you know, you you've, you mentioned you have 66 patients. I imagine they all go through varying degrees of sobriety, right? Whether they relapse, whether they make it, whether they pass away. I'm sure you've experienced every end of the spectrum from an emotional perspective. But when you deal with that sort of high stress job, how do you facilitate like the desire to create art when you have like, you know, a, it's a heavy burden that weighs on you? So
1: at the moment, we're still doing COVID stuff. So that means a lot of my... A lot of my one-on-one one-on-one sessions are taking place on the phone, mm-hmm. especially what's because there's like M1 to M27 status when you have when you're on uh, methadone. So M1s you have to come in and dose every day. M3 is like when you get to take two two bottles home with you, and up and up and up, to up up to M27, which is where you get to take the whole 30 days all at once and bring it back. So a lot of my M27 patients, I just call them once a day, once a month on the phone, I have to check in with them. We talk for an hour you know we i i try to get them to at least come in and meet me once in person in person
0: mm-hmm. just to
1: get up my vibes they understand who i am and like get my energy um and that works pretty well um but i i actually bring my ipad with me to work and i do all my my photography here at the house with with my my shapes of my thing and my um and and my masking and everything prepped and then i use this this suite called Plotiverse to, to do my animation in, and it's on the ipad with the i pencil and um, uh, I bring it with me to work so I'm in there and I have four groups a week to do every um, Tuesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. I have an hour one on Tuesdays, one on Fridays, and then two on Saturdays and I'm by, the, I'm by myself alone on Saturdays, it's like a half a day from 6 to 11.30, right? So I bring my iPad with me and anytime I'm doing a one-on-one session with somebody on the phone or I do a group on the phone, I have my iPad out and I'm doing my animation or doing like you know, working on, on my project at the same time. And um, my friend Nate actually brought up a good point there. And he was like, he was like, this is a paper. This is a medical psychological paper you could write. He was, he asked, he said, let me ask you one question. And he's like, I want you to think about this very deeply. He's like, do you think that doing art while you're talking to people about their issues and their problems gives you more empathy and has a, a different empathetic level while you're creating, while you're helping them?
0: wow that's interesting it's
1: helping your mind up more and your emotions more because art emo- is emotional
0: mm-hmm. yeah it's
1: creation it's 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 that's powerful yeah and i was like you know i never really thought about it until now and i've had the last few days i've thought about it a lot and i was like and i i saw him last night we had a, we had, a, we, had a, we have a crypto meetup every week near my actually my apartment building i use my my community room so to, to do our our uh our, we have a dinner dow that we're building right oh, now cool. So kind of a we're trying to become the premier PNW like crypto meetup. You know what I mean? Sweet. like Yeah. weekly and monthly for like big dinners and like one big dinner, and one and like three small little like meetups during the week mm-hmm. or during the month. So, and I saw him last night, I was like, you know, I thought about what you said. And like the thing is, is like at, at work, I have two screens in front of me. I always have like a spreadsheet up with all my clients on it. And I had the calendar and like all my software on the left hand side. And I've got a word document over here and I'm like taking notes and I'm like doing all this kind of shit for work but when I do the 1 on 1 sessions in the groups and I'm doing my art I don't want to be distracted by that by not let not be able to, to like listen to people fully completely when I'm like when they need me to hear them and when I'm doing my art and I'm listening to them talk I'm I hear everything I hear every emotion every nuance in their body or the, in their voice you know what I mean cuz it's hard to it's hard to to, to do those kind of sessions over the phone so you don't know when somebody's bullshitting you.
0: Do you think, um, so like I'm just going to use a broad concept in mind, but like, so I'm explaining to you like how I'm going through withdrawal, you know, what my process is like. I'm an M2, M3, whatever, right? And like I'm having a overly emotional week. Like I broke up with my girlfriend, whatever it might be. Do you think those levels of emotions come out differently in your work while you're going through that?
1: I think so. Yeah. That's I think cool. I think that yeah. I think that if you look at my like if you go to my Shapes and Divine project on OpenSea, right? And you buy I always if you ever I don't know if anybody ever noticed, but like when I when I promote it on, on Twitter or anywhere other so, social media, the link that I use the one I always sort it to to recently created. Mm-hmm. So it puts all the new stuff up top. Mm-hmm. I mean that way it's like the old because otherwise it just shows the no old shit, which is like it's good, it's cool. It's the OG shit. It's all priced low. 1.11 1 instead of 0.22. 2. 2. But like, it's not as good. I don't think it's, I, I'm on reverse credit too, but like, I think it's, I don't think it's as good as, but I'm also not going to swap it out for something different and something new because I want people to see the progression of it. I want people to have those OG, OG pieces.
0: What's I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. There's the progression of, as an artist, the right, growth. Right. I yeah. want
1: people to collect that, you know, because there's, there's a, there's a, there's a whole thing about collection, collecting with that, getting that OG shit. And like what the what the, What things that we somebody did five or six years ago, and somebody did some now. is like, and their progression of like, it's just beautiful to see like the growth. Mm-hmm. And like, like one of my favorite artists is Glass Crane. If you ever know who he is, like, or then like Elos Project, or like, or you know, NFT Trippy. Those guys, that do these amazing like, and like Lane, um, Glass Crane's actually is a is roommate. Those guys are like the most badass fucking three D like four D cinema artists that I've ever seen in my entire life. But i've also been watching glass crane for four or five years now
0: so you've seen the growth
1: yeah and i so that's why i do this that's for the same reason he leaves his old shit up i leave my shit up too Mm -hmm. i mean so you can see that growth and people can see that progression and i think that like these newer pieces in the last three months that i've been putting up i think are a lot different i think the animation's tighter i think the music's better i think that everything about it is just more fluid more like it's just better. It's like, I mean, like it's it's hard to explain on a podcast without seeing it. Yeah. But like, if you not... go you to know my IG, you see, you'll see like a bunch of videos. on my, I have an IG channel for Shapes Divine. I send my video tab, my IG. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see like I usually I, I have like a little a little gooseneck thing that I can hang my phone on above my iPad. Oh, that's and cool. And like do like live music, live videos on 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 IG, and it saves it as a recording. Oh, that's it awesome. There, you know what I mean? yeah i can make it part of the channel that that channel so and they're like 45 minute an hour long video sometimes like it goes to 58 minutes oh is wow. the limit and you can see the progression of, of the work that i've done and the way that i animate and the way that i use the tools that i use now compared to what over the last like what i've done the last three months how much how much different like just how tighter the masking and, and the, the 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 creation and like everything about it's gotten like much more fluid. My hands got steadier, like everything. You know what I mean? Like and and so, I learned some new things the other day about how to how to physically do it too. Yeah. Which is
0: awesome. so like will there'll be like darker tones, deeper, richer colors, lighter stuff in corresponding conversations as you work? In other words, so like if I'm telling you everything's great, like I'm doing so well, like will that come out in a certain way in your pieces as you're working or I think
1: maybe that I might choose which piece to work on based on the the conversation that I'm having during those sessions. I think, yeah. yeah. So it depends on like how, how deep or dark it or lighter or lighter, happier those conversations, how much easier they are.
0: Yeah.
1: But like I said, a lot of, you know, a lot, it's, it's funny how many people in my clients that are, that are artists. And like, we talk about about addiction for like 15, 20 minutes and we talk about art and music and, shit's going on in the world and like you know like we talk about whole fun shit dude like i don't try to like be that upper stiff upper lip fucking counselor That's i even dress different like like the three pairs of pants that i have for work are all like 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 kind of like tech wear like cargo pants like mm-hmm. like well you know what i mean like not really nice, <laughs> like like everything black and like i go with like I go to work and like with like either either black polos or, or a black hoodie hoodie some t-shirt hoodie get up thing you know what i mean like yeah like at first like people, i had to start wearing my bar my badge at work because people were like oh i thought you were one of us yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. i had to get a haircut because i because the same, same reason you know what i gonna mean? check my hair off so i was like i had to build like mohawk and like like a thick mohawk and like kind of a mullet and they were like i was like this ain't gonna work
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> like we need you to uh cut that yeah. a little yeah. bit evener <laughs> uh,
1: yeah but yeah definitely definitely it affects, affects which pieces i choose to work on at the time that I'm working on them, you know what I mean. Or if I want to be there or not. Or if I'm the kind of kind of mood that I'm just like, I really want to fuck up you at work right now. Because yeah. I have those days too. Everybody has those days.
0: Oh, for whether sure. Whether you
1: can, whether you have disabilities or not, like you, you mean like, some days you just don't feel like getting up and going to work, you know. But I but I do every day.
0: Yeah, I know? think I think what's cool is that. So I you know I I'm unabashed about the fact that I, from these conversations I steal a lot of inspiration because I think when you're able to converse with someone about life about what they've gone through, their ups and their downs, it's sort of like an affirming thing, right? So like whether your life is in the best place possible or the worst place possible, it it provides appropriate and necessary perspective to be able to look inward about what you have going on for yourself and like sort of reassess and get a really clear understanding that like for the most part, we're all pretty lucky, right? And. I think just what you do every day as for a job is is really incredible. I mean, I I'm I mean, I've I've only known you a few months, but it's like to say that I'm like proud of your journey would be an understatement. I mean, it's incredible sort of what you've been able to overcome. I mean, Chaz, I'm serious. Like, you know, you look at the fact that like statistically you probably should be dead right there's no question yeah that, that yeah. you i
1: died three times dude
0: well oh, there you like go on my
1: way to the hospital when i got cracked in the head like that flat for like two and a half minutes
0: That and then
1: yeah then there was another time when, like i know that i know when i was younger i know that i i, I had a situation where i know that i like i tried to see how, i want to see how long i could when i was like like 20 I wanted to see how long I could stay up on meth. And, like, I stayed up for 17 days. Holy shit. And, like, literally, literally, like, with, like, maybe an hour or two of sleep right? I nodded off a couple times. And, like, literally, like, I think that I died, like, on the street in San Francisco, like, on, on Upper Haight Street. Like, sitting against the Double Rainbow's storefront on, like, right next to the I-beam in Upper Haight. Like, and because I remember, like, hallucinating the entire, like, I felt like I was in a parallel world. Wow! I either astro projected out of, out of there and into a different place that, like in a different world that looked deep, the upper eight street looks different or I died for a minute and came back.
0: That's crazy. Have you ever yeah. have you ever heard the theory that every time we have a near death experience we actually do die but our consciousness shifts to another version of ourselves in a different you know multiverse or whatever. It was a very interesting concept that like basically revolves around the fact that we live in a simulation and we do all inevitably end up dying for one time and then we just get like a full-on system reboot it fucking tripped me out for so long <laughs> i was not a fan I was like,
1: shit well before the matrix ever came out because yeah, yeah, right. like, i've always been to some weird like sacred geometry fucking like spiritual like multi-dimensional i grew up on you know i grew up on group on group books like my, my my grandpa was also an avid reader and he used to bring me books like the, one of the first books i ever read when i was i think i was like 12 was um uh it was it was i think it was a william gibson book i think it was like the short stories of the necromancer oh, series yeah. of so the, the short stories that had johnny Mnemonic in it. Uh-huh. and and those all those stories and then i went on to, to read like snow crash by neil stevenson and you know and all of his the cryptonomicon and 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 all of the um philip k dick books and like and it turns out like some adopted right I'm, i was adopted when i was like 3 days old met my real mom when i was 23 it turns out she's a Freak about sci-fi, like about sci-fi, wow. and, and and fucking and like, like <laughs> I, when she, I brought her came to her house, with her house in Vancouver, Washington, and like looked at her bookshelf, and I was like, why do you have all the same fucking books that I do?
0: That's weird.
1: You know what I mean? Like
0: that's weird.
1: That so fucking strange. and we We're so much alike, dude.
0: Yeah, that's we fucking even, weird. Like, yeah.
1: Yeah, like like we, when we had ins and outs, she she passed now, but we had our ins and outs. But like you know she. It was cool, to, like meet her and my dad too. My dad, they both gone now, but like, but like, you know, my dad was like, when I met my dad, he had like, 26 years clean and sober. Wow. yeah you know, he got he got sober like right after like right right after I right after I was born, I guess. Like when I met him, I met him, when I was like 26. And, like, you know, he's a he's a host NA meetings out in beaverson outside of here, outside of Portland. Mm-hmm. You know, like he, that was, he had he had the whole meeting that that was his meeting he ran. That's crazy. Yeah, so like this, it's like when they say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree.
0: Sure, no, I believe that completely. I I butt up against that a lot, and I know that my father is going to be listening to this. But for a very long time, I used to butt up against the fact that everyone would tell me how much I'm like my father, and I'd be like, oh, I'm nothing like him. I'm, you know. But the truth is, when I look at when I look at it now, you know, I'm a 36 year old man who's very comfortable in his own skin and I, and very clear on like who I am. I take that as a tremendous compliment. Like my dad's the fucking man. I, I couldn't be happier. Yeah. Dude, uh, me and my dad,
1: that. we didn't get along for years. dude. We were like at odds constantly. We didn't even talk for like three or four years for a while there. Like, we didn't like. I talked to my mom, but I wouldn't talk to my dad at all. Mm-hmm. My dad was like, I'm just saying to him. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like. all i I wanted was my dad to be proud of me that's all i wanted was like that's all i wanted was just his approval yeah i mean mean, there's not every
0: son and father right everyone yeah yeah
1: Yeah. but like at the end of his life you know like and i admire him the way that the way that 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 everything like ended up um at the end of it the last like three or four years i was going to school i wouldn't i didn't graduate till like a little bit after he passed but like he was so proud of me. I was all he could talk about, man. That's awesome. Yeah, you know I mean, like all of his friends, all our family, all of our relatives, like every dinner dinner that anybody had when when I wasn't around, all that he talked about was me and how proud he was.
0: Yeah, that's and I amazing.
1: Was just like, wow, dude. Like that. Hearing that is just like, you know what I mean? To hear him say that, and like you know, he, he had all yeah. Um, he was he, he was on dialysis for seven years. He had a <laughs> different failure, and he, he was too old to, and had too much shit wrong with him to actually get a new lever. So he was on permanent dialysis three days a week. And one day he called the whole family over to the house. He was like, here's the deal. I'm fucking tired, man. Yeah. We go off dialysis and I know I'm going to die. But I'd rather like this COVID shit's coming and I see the writing on the wall. It's like right before COVID hit, right before the lockdowns, like literally like right when it started happening. And he was like, I do not want to be in a hospital behind a plastic sheet without my family able to be next to me and touch me and, and talk to me and hold me. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to end this now. And i
0: was
1: like i don't know if i can fucking do that bro yeah i don't know if i'm that
0: ballsy yeah no it's you
1: know what i mean like oh, that's ballsy. that's I mean, like whoa
0: think, yeah it's one of those things like whenever you you know i'm i'm fortunate enough i haven't been through any sort of health crisis like that but i think when you struggle with health for a long period of time you know when you have fight left in you and when you don't and yeah. yeah i mean that, dude. Like, it's dude. a courageous that's a legacy yeah it's a courageous decision to make because at the end of the day you are stamping your own death sentence it's it's a yeah. remarkably difficult choice to make but i think at 84 you kind of come to grips with what what your your place is and be at peace with your life and and that's you know inevitably you know probably the right decision at the time and and yeah i mean that's hard it's yeah.
1: funny because, like, the number number two on my bucket list has always been, like, to live to be 101. He was like, why the fuck would you want to do that?
0: Pass. Hard pass. <laughs> hard, hard pass.
1: <laughs> I was like, because I keep hoping that we're going to get up in that cybernetic future, that like, that I can start getting my lungs, like... <laughs> Regrown as shit by a fucking Dude, we're, Not a lot. Like we're, we're probably
0: we're probably in some fucking pod right now, or just some fucking code typed into something. I, I, Who knows? You know.
1: <laughs>
0: um, Chas. Yeah, I, I
1: mean, that's 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 rad that he that I look at look at it to him, and like I hope that when I reach that age, if that happens to me, that like I have the balls to be able to do that. Yeah. And the thing of me is like, you know, my dad and I, my biological and I, dad and I, from what I understand, we're pretty much alike too. But at the same time, like my dad that like, raised me, you know, mate, he like, he's it's funny that I find myself using all of his little, these little epitaphs, these little sayings, you know, dads that grew up in the fifties had these sayings. He's like, they can't never do you nothing, nothing you can't do. <laughs>
0: yeah. You
1: know what I mean? shit like that. Like, and just, and like, and like honesty is the best policy. And like, you know, just little, little shit like that. And, like I find myself at the same age that I used to hate when he was that age. And I was a kid. And he had a 52 and he like, it, I'm hearing myself like repeat his fucking words verbatim out of my mouth. So it's like some of it with clients.
0: Isn't that like, so to me, I'm a big fan of that. When you like, when I, I stop myself sometimes when I say something, and I'm like, wow, that was my mom or wow, that was my dad or wow, that was my grandma. Like I think yeah. about those things and I, it's something that I like, I really enjoy about life. It's because that, you know, it means like the interactions that you have with people are important. They last, they are like stuck with you. And, and I think that's cool. Um, I like to spend the last bit of every podcast doing a little bit of a Q and a, some of these are super easy. Some of them are a little bit hard, but my first question for you is what's your favorite movie?
1: <laughs> the matrix <That's laughs> the good. first did, one did you honestly
0: i, I like it too did, I, like i watch all of them at least once a year i'm, I'm a big fan of of the writing and the I'm in, story i'm in
1: the Matrix too say it again i'm in the matrix too what does that mean number two. Oh, in the scene of zion, the Are zion you in scene, the
0: movie
1: i'm actually in the movie in the zion scene in oakland they filmed that on the soundstage in oakland oh no shit and I was an extra in, 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 as I was one of the extras. I'm one of the, the church, church guys with the, with the, with the, with the, with the, with the Togo, the white toga yeah. on. I was like one of the guys, like you, you barely see me. I'm like a blur as I go by the camera with like this, this like torch and like I'm in a white Toga thing.
0: I mean, that's fucking awesome. That's so yeah. cool. So I got
1: to meet Keanu, like hanging out with him on the set and like actually like, and I actually asked him, I was like, do you think that we live in the Matrix?
0: <laughs> what did he say?
1: And he was like, "I guess that's for me to know, for you to figure out, isn't it?" I was like, "That's funny because that's the same thing that Anne Rice said to me when I met her about fucking vampires." Well, the <laughs> Well,
0: that doesn't make me feel good. <laughs>
1: like, God damn it!
0: What's your favorite book?
1: Uh, Snow Crash by Neil Stephenson. For non for fiction, for nonfiction is one called "Um, uh, Um, Uh, My Life with the Little Goat" or the something about the the, the 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 tiny goat. What is it? Uh, yeah, was it called? I have it right here. It's a I don't have it right here. I thought I had it right here, but uh, it's a book by Gaba, 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 Gaba Mate, um, this psychologist. Um, it's called a uh, I think it's called My Life with the Tiny, Tiny Goat, Tiny or Hungry Ghost. Mm-hmm. It's a an addiction book. It's for nonfiction. It's like the only one that I've actually been able to pick up and not want to put down. Nice. I usually fucking hate nonfiction.
0: Yeah. I go back and forth, but yeah. yeah. What's your favorite food? Um, probably
1: chicken skewer—the Thai, Thai chicken things—you dip in the peanut sauce. Mm,
0: nice, it's so good. Do you believe in an afterlife?
1: I I think that I used to have a concept that that like we live a certain amount of times. And then, whatever energy we are with, in the la- in the very last lifetime that we have, we become the teacher with all the things that we learned and gather in those previous lives. Oh, and so, and then we become the master in the last life, and we get to like teach that to other people and give that to other people. And then after that life, we go back to this sense of like cosmic energetic like this one something like might call a god whatever like we become like one with like this one with with a with the cosmic kind of like entity of like energy that that feeds the universe and like and like and powers it I think and come that. back 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 to the source again
0: so I'm gonna go with yes yeah I like that A very strange one though not a I, very complicated I, way of getting there I think that's that's kind of beautiful honestly um what inspires you
1: other people's art, honestly. Like um sunsets and sundowns, like clouds in the sky. Honestly, cloud that's one thing that I love about Oregon is the clouds, man. Clouds here are fucking beautiful. Because I love just like laying on the grass and like looking up the clouds and like watching things form and take shape and like you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like hoping that I and that, that nightmare that I used to have as a kid doesn't ever come true, that like a bunch of like square ships that are like borgs come out <laughs> of it.
0: <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> What's the yeah. what's the best piece of advice someone's ever given you?
1: Um two things. Like one, my grandpa used to say, like, always leave the world a better place than you found it. Like always find a, always leave a place a little bit better than you found it. And that includes the world. hmm Um and the other the other one I think recently I've heard it said by multiple, multiple people in the NFT community is that and I and I it's funny because I, I pass this on to my I've been using this in my in my in my 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 counseling life. I've been telling people like, you know, like it's this is not a fucking sprint. This is a marathon. Yeah. You don't have to rush to get to the finish line. We don't have to like yeah, this isn't we're we're so early that like we're we're really prehistoric. We're like the dinosaurs with this NFT thing. So mm-hmm. like we're but that but it also applies to life too. Yeah. It's like you don't have to rush to get all that experience. And it's like, you know what I mean? Like the whole Wagney thing is actually real. (laughs) I,
0: I think it's funny because so like I came to photography, photography very late in life. Uh, it just started full time about two years ago. Um, you know, at 34 years old, I had lost my job and during the pandemic and I had no idea what to do with my, my time in my life. And I found the thing that I love most in the world and I'm making it my career. Um, you know, I, I recently read that Vera Wang designed her very first dress at 40 years old, right? Like there's no timeline. There's no, there's no path that needs to be done at a certain time, right? It is up to you to decide the who, what, when, where, why, and how your life transpires. And don't let anyone else tell you otherwise.
1: You know, you know who, uh, Thierry Mugler is? Who? Thierry Mugler. I don't know. Um, he does like couture type stuff, um, design. He's the guy that um, designed or uh, uh, made the uh, Angel for Men and Women cologne and, and, oh. and perfume.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: The oblong star with the, 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 the yeah. rubber bottle and the, mm-hmm. the glass star, the off, offset star. Yeah, they kind of like, kinda like so fuck each
0: other when you put them together?
1: He went, Yeah, he <laughs> went back to school at 52 years old to become a biologist, take biology to learn how to make his own colognes and scents Wow! after doing couture design and stage design and set design and photography and his own developing and his own like everything hands on the guy is like the fucking master jack of all trades master of none when it comes to fashion photography makeup everything and The he went back at 52 years old to go to school for four years to get biology training to learn how to make sense that change with every single person's dna that when it hits their body wow that's why i mean dude the guy and he's like now he's like in his 70s he's like the strapping fucking German lad of like just big huge guy and like and just buff and like looks like he's fucking 45 and like and he's so accomplished and so beautiful and like and if you were if you look him up like look up his fashion shows and YouTube the stuff he was doing in 1993 1994 was like he's the reason I'm obsessed with body with coffee table books mm-hmm. and making one literally he's the, he's the very first copy table book that I ever owned it's called Fetish Fantasy Fashion
0: oh wait I have heard of that book
1: yeah, that's yeah. him. That's Dream oh. He built. He built every set, did all the lighting, and did all the detour design of all the clothes in that book. Wow, all of it. That's wild. He did all of it in that book, and that's why I'm doing the Shapes of the Divine Coffee Table Book because of that book. I mean, like it, that's the reason why that book is coming to fruition.
0: Pretty clear cut. It's never too late. You know, story of life. It's never too late. Yeah, to start something. I wrote
1: something- him one time. And he responded to me. Oh yeah. Yeah, he wrote to me. Yeah, I wrote to him, and I and I told him that I was going to school for addiction therapy, and like. And that, that, that he was such an influence on me and i just wanted to say thank you and he actually got back to me and like like said thank you and shit. And i was just like and it wasn't just his like his assistant or something right, it, was he him, told yeah. it, was, it was him and it was just like that was like one of those life moments of like oh my god this is someone that i like that i idolized and like they you know gave me mean?
0: five minutes of their time and i couldn't be more thankful for it yeah, yeah. I, i've had something very similar recently i was trying to get One of my greatest inspirations uh, photography wise to come on my podcast and they very politely declined, but in a way that like was really nice and really kind and didn't necessarily have to go to that level to say no thank you, which I I greatly appreciated. Um, My last question for you is give me a recommendation uh, for something that you've recently consumed. It could be a book, a podcast, a movie, a TV show, just something that you've recently watched that you'd like everyone to check out.
1: I actually really liked I just I spent the day yesterday and the day before like binging through um, the new Netflix series um, first kill
0: oh, I don't know it was what actually that is. really well done okay
1: it's just it's a, it's a, like a vampire monster killer like monster hunter kind of like meet and fall in love kind of story that's just like I think it's, it was it was cute but at the same time like it was like it was just like it really saw it, it was like the two different sides of life come together. You know what I mean? And like, mm-hmm. they did a really good job with it. You know what I mean? It's like, it's more of a, like, it's like high school characters and their parents and their families, but also like a very well done plot that I thought was really good. And, and, uh, that one on um, the, the prime video, prime video on the, um, that, Oh, what the name was? Uh, outer, 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 outer range. That was a really good one too.
0: I really like that, but I'm, I'm, a, yeah. I'm fucking obsessed with Josh Brolin as a human being. Um, so like i'll watch <laughs> anything with him he's just seems like the coolest yeah. fucking guy like i would love to have a beer with him um but yeah, yeah. that show is super cool um left so many unanswered questions which bugged this bugged the shit out of me but i know me
1: too i'm like i'm like when's this season <laughs> like the next season, let's fucking go a
0: year from now right it sucks um such a good show um i've got to
1: hear that that prime's going to be making snow crash
0: oh really i didn't i did not hear that
1: they're making a series wow. out of some Little Stevenson's Snow Crash.
0: Yeah, I mean Amazon's just printing money, so why not? Um I've got right? two They're rec- good at it. Yeah, I've got two recommendations. Uh I recently watched Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um Sounds good. easily one of my favorite movies of all time. No spoilers, go watch it. Just trust me, it was fucking amazing. So good. Um and if you're not watching the boys on Amazon Prime, like I don't know what you're doing. I am- because it's the best fucking (laughs) so absurd it's so wonderful it's so good it's
1: just ridiculous dude. It's so ridiculous it's so over the fucking
0: top i'm just like really dude the first 15 minutes of the first episode of this season just i was on the floor crying laughing with the exploding (laughs) fucking penis it was absurd Um, i was
1: like wait a minute i'm like i had to rewind that shit i was like It's just so I was like oh, fuck no, dude.
0: I, I saw an interview with the director before they came out with the episode, and he was like, I'm truly astonished that they let us fucking make this because it's so absurd. Um, but it's so okay. wonderful. Um, Chaz, uh I'm uh I've got a bit of a cheesy line. If you've been on my podcast, you're part of my family. I'm incredibly appreciative of your time uh, and for coming on with me today. Um, yeah, this was just such a joy and such a treat. I uh, I'm, I marvel at uh, all that you've overcome in your life and, and what a positive force you've been. Uh, you know. And I'm just incredibly thankful for your friendship, and I appreciate you coming on.
1: Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Seriously.
0: No problem, buddy. Have a great day. Take care. All
1: right. You too.